Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. One minute at a time. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Chemda. Chemda was born in Israel and has lived in New York City since she was four years old, currently residing in Queens. She's a talk show host, writer, and singer. She hosts the What's My Name show co-host as The Girl of Keith and the Girl, a daily award-winning comedy talk show with comedian Keith Malley, and navigating her life after having a football-sized tumor removed from her chest and getting divorced in the same year. She created OMAT, one minute at a time. OMAT is designed to turn negative patterns into positive habits. We discuss Pemdo's creative journey, including recording over 3,300 episodes of Keith and the Girl, being featured on the cover of The Village Voice, and we dig deep into the development of OMAT. I appreciated her insights on taking care of oneself and focusing on self-improvement, changing ourselves rather than trying to change others, and especially the power of asking important questions and living an examined life. It was an honor having come to, on the podcast. I thank her for sharing her time and insights. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Hemda, uh, thank you very much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's an absolute uh, uh, honor and, and pleasure to have you here. So if you don't mind, could you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Matt. It's really good to be here. My name is Chemda. I was born in Israel and I moved to Queens, New York when I was four. So I was raised here. I'm still here um, in my closet in Long Island City right now. And um, I, when it comes to who am I and what do I do, I always get stuck. Um, I feel uncomfortable claiming, you know, this is who I am. But what I have been is I've I've been a singer and uh, a babysitter and a children's party entertainer. And for the last 15 years, I've podcasted with uh, Keith and the Girl. And now I started a program called OMAT, which stands for One Minute at a Time, which is a series of eight exercises that I found helpful for myself to live my life a little more consciously, to make sure that I'm moving my body around, I'm asking myself questions as I go along. And I do think all of those things, even though they sound completely different, all tie into each other and keep bringing me to the next thing. So I don't believe in things like, oh, I'm 30, it's too late to change my career, my path, my thought process. And I think as soon as I do believe that and stop asking questions, that's when I'm old. So I'll have old notions, I'll have, you know, an old body by not asking myself to move, by not telling myself that there is a change, that there is a new thought, that there is a new thing to happen. So I hope to keep asking questions. And um, that's probably why I have a question mark tattoo on my forearm. And when did you get that tattoo? A couple of years ago, I think I was, well, maybe four years at this point, two to four years. And I was around, I was in my 40s. I'm turning 45. So I waited until 40 to decide on my right, first one. Right on. Yeah, I have uh, I have uh, two tattoos. Uh, 
neither of which I regret, but they're, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting making that, that commitment. Yeah. And I really saw it as a commitment. I never felt tied to anything enough to permanently mark my body with it. So many different things I want to uh, dig into. I think the first, uh, just so I can get my nervousness out of the table, not to make it about me, but uh, Keith and the Girl, you started the podcast 15 years ago, and you're over uh, 3,300 episodes in, Yes, and you've been referred to as the queen of podcasting, and yeah. uh, you've been on the cover of the Village Voice, so... Uh, you know, I, I'm sure we have a, we have a lot of things in common because this, this will probably be my 44th episode when it goes live. But how uh, how and why did you get into uh, podcasting? If you don't mind walking me through that. Sure, it was not really a planned thing. I was actually dating Keith at the time, and he was pursuing comedy. I was still singing, and um, we found out about podcasting because. One of his brothers mentioned it. One of my brothers mentioned it. And the reason why we didn't know about it and they did is because they're more computer savvy, tech oriented. And so they were um, ahead of us in that world. And so the people who were listening to podcasts at the time were people who were a little more savvy about computer stuff. So it was a lot of tech podcasts. And um, Keith wanted to start a podcast, which I thought was a great idea. He always expressed himself in, in that way, like with stand-up, with blogging, and um, we all thought he was very funny. He asked me to be his co-host. I resisted, actually. That's part of why it's called Keith and the Girl. Um, I wanted it to be him. I wasn't, I wasn't as open as he was. His blog was talking about his dating life before people were talking about dating life. These you know, taboo things he was saying as if they were dinner conversations. And I wasn't yet completely comfortable with me doing that. And I didn't want to hold him back. So I didn't want him to have a co-host that would stop him from whatever energy he's putting out there because I really appreciated it. And I didn't agree with everything he said, but I loved the way he phrased it and how he made uncomfortable things funny. And I wanted that in him to thrive. And he just said, I need someone to bounce this off of. Um, he didn't believe in a podcast with one person because he felt like people's thoughts do need to be interrupted. And, you know, they do need to sort of bounce it off someone else. And I agreed to do it. And it just started snowballing Um almost right away without us knowing it because we didn't know where a podcast was supposed to go. There was no podcasting goals or networks or anything like that. So the podcast really... for dummies book wasn't out yet. Right. <laughs> no, but when it was, we were in it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were the podcast dummies, you know, but we were still, you know, more knowledgeable than other people who, even when we were doing it for a living, uh, people, you know, you'd meet people, they say, what do you do for a living? I say podcast. And it was just, you know, this image of me in my mother's basement on some like, you know, ham radio um, with little, I don't know, just uh, yelling at my mom like, no, I don't want grilled cheese now. You know, I said I was recording. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was either that or people's eyes would glaze over yeah. because, you know, they hear computery things. I'm talking about 15 years ago. I can say stuff like I'm on the Internet. Like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I do Internet things. And people would be like, oh, you have the Internet. Oh, OK, I don't I don't know. You you do something that we won't understand. So they didn't even get into it. That's right. how right. rare 
interneting was. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. One of the things that I find uh, really interesting too about Keith and the girl and the 15 years is the journeys that both you and Keith have been on and still podcasting together. Do you mind walking me kind of through some of those kind of, <laughs> I mean, major <laughs> life so events, much. right? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, which is bound started. to happen in 15 years, right? But, right? but just hope. also that you're there, right? For each other and still doing this together uh, to me is fascinating. To me, it's fascinating. <laughs> you know, uh, I forget. And then you kind of start telling the story and you remember, oh, yeah, this is unusual. It's not really normal. Um, we, Like I said, we were dating when we first started. Uh, we did break up. An hour later, we were live on air recording the podcast. We stayed together. Um, we stayed living together. That's a, a big New York thing is couples yeah. break up and there's just nowhere to go. Um, we wrote a book about um, uh, relationships together and and we broke up. We had a really hard time with that because we were living and working with each other. The podcast is a pretty intimate space to be in. And um, I think we could have used a break from each other. And we would both say this. We it's it's nice to step away from a relationship after you step away from a relationship. And we didn't have that. Yeah. Uh, we actually lived with each other after the breakup for over a year. And then he got married. I got married. Um, in the history of time, it's around the same time. But, you know, as you're going through it, it's just it seems more staggered. Right. Then he got divorced. I got divorced. Now he's dating someone. I'm dating someone. And um, and the people who don't know that we were together in the beginning of this, the new guests, the guests that don't know the history, because there's 15 years and over 3000 episodes. If we mention it because it's in context, they're surprised, you know, because when we were going out with each other, it made sense. But now that we're not, if you catch us in the same room, even though we speak very well with each other, we're not disrespectful. You would never think of us together romantically. And we love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Want to back up a little bit too. So you you were four years old uh, when your family moved from uh, Israel to to the states. Uh, did you speak English when you were coming over? None of us did. We remember learning our first word. It was from our neighbors, and um, we lived in this sort of uh, with there's homes around this little um, grass area, and so me and my brothers were just hanging out on the grass area. And we heard Americans yeah. <laughs> saying move. And we just stood around. And my mother didn't speak English either. And she was the only one around. And they're saying move. And we're all just hanging out like no one's talking to us. And that's when we learned the word move <laughs> <laughs> to get out of the way. I don't, I'm so floored by my parents' balls to yeah. move to a country with three kids, six ages six and under in a they didn't speak any English and they thrived. Yeah. So a couple, a couple things why I'm so interested in that too is uh, so my, uh, my wife is a professor in education and a lot of her focus is on uh, uh, foreign language or second language acquisition. And, uh, and she does a lot in preparing foreign language teachers. So I'm always really interested in context in which somebody starts to pick up a, a second language. And uh, to your point, just kind of the, the balls that your parents had. I, I can't imagine going to a country where I don't speak the language, taking my kids and uh, making a go of it. 
I get nervous just thinking about living in a different city. <laughs> right. Yes. I still live in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> so your, um, your journey uh, to, I'm just, uh, there's so many creative outlets, so many things that, that you do. And uh, do you mind walking me through kind of how you got on such a, a creative path? Yeah, um, my path was supposed to be, according to my Middle Eastern, very conservative, very old world. Um, I was supposed to um, get married, have babies and have grandchildren. And really, that was 100 percent it. And every time I deviated from that, they would get furious. And at this point, we're not even speaking because I've just naturally not did that. Um, So the first thing. I think that led me to all this is when I was 18, I started working for a kids party entertainment company and that's a wacky job. And that's what (laughs) I liked about it. Uh, I wasn't around my bosses all the time. I got to see different people. Um, If I didn't like this one job, it was over in an hour or two. And I liked that flexibility. Um, And I, I loved working with children. And because I had a wacky job, I thought, well, if this is unconventional, and I'm making money and I moved out of my parents' house, then I apparently get to do unconventional things. That is how unconventional things happen. I didn't know that. I thought they just happened to unconventional people in their unconventional homes. And that's just those wacky neighbors. And then it turns out I'm I'm a wacky person. <laughs> so I thought, okay, if I could do that, that means I can pursue something like singing because wacky things are now available. And I started pursuing it. And um Back then, you picked up the Village Voice, which is why it was such a big deal that I was on the cover. For me, personally, as a New Yorker, you picked up the Village Voice and you looked at the ads in the back and you went on auditions and, you know, you had to call and you had to show up. And I just got a couple of jobs. I got a couple of tours. I wrote a couple of songs, um, just opportunities that uh, I didn't know were available to Honestly, some immigrant who moved here when she was four, who, you know, semi paid attention in school, wasn't always the coolest, but wasn't always the dorkiest, like this middle of the road sort of I'm just trying to fit in, but I don't even know to where. So I pursued that um, and I got into creative people because once you're on a wacky schedule, once you're on a creative path, you start meeting more creative people in different spaces. And I went to a place called Surf Reality. There was an open mic there on Sunday night that uh, somebody who I worked with kids parties used to go to and convinced me to come. I had no idea what an open mic was. I thought the host, his name was Faceboy. I thought he made up the concept. I was like, look at this. We could just come on here and say whatever we want. And it was very much a variety show. The rules were you have eight minutes to literally do anything except smoke um, tobacco. You could smoke weed and it was smoked throughout. You can't set the place on fire and you can't heckle or bother someone while they're on stage. So pretty comfortable rules. I was $3 to get in and it was a converted living room on the Lower East Side uh, above a brothel when they first started. And you really saw everything. Jim Gaffigan used to go there. Um, There were artists and poets and people who just stripped down to tell you their story. Um, I saw someone paint with their period blood. Um, 
And it was just this complete adventure. And that's where I met Keith. So now I'm meeting a lot of stand-up comedy people. I get into that world, podcasting emerges. So I feel like if if you say pick a path, I, I pick the wacky one, which I guess is today's theme for me. Yeah. And just just that freedom allowed other freedom to happen because I noticed you can have a job like this. Then I could notice that I can have other jobs that I wouldn't really consider. And I allowed myself to be open to it because that's what I was in pursuit of. What's the next thing that I can get into? And New York is great for that. Look at this door that you open and all of a sudden, you know, things that you wouldn't think were happening behind that door, but you opened it and that's great. Yeah, a, cu- a couple things that I want to uh, dig into, but one one of the things I just grabbed one of the books off my shelf, but this is called The Downtown Pop Underground. Um, a a professor uh, here at the University of Iowa that I know, he he wrote that he f- studies like media and and uh, he's done a lot on uh, like the hip hop scene, and w- especially with sampling and intellectual property, but. Uh, the downtown pop underground is is about uh, kind of a small area uh, in Manhattan around the village, really in the 60s to just before punk broke. Right. And mm. all of the different artists and when they would gather and just looking at all these threads that come together. So you, you, you talking about being in a brothel, talking about, you know, different types of artists and comedians. And I think when it's at its best, those are super colliders for for art and creativity and. What I'm hearing from you, one of, the, and maybe I'm just projecting, but I remember when I've been in uh, creative ensembles and group, it, there's something intoxicating about um, the collaboration, and it feels like it also lifts your game, right? Too is uh, rather than just being off by yourself. The idea is, uh, and for me, like you know, getting lost in your own head can also, <laughs> you know, let your isolation cultivate your madness. But when you're collaborating yeah. with folks. And uh, it's just so exciting. And so it sounds like a whole new world was opened up to you seeing some of these Absolutely. things. Absolutely. It was um, what people might call a freak show. And th- the takeaway was, I guess I'm a freak. And what you notice is freaks are not what you thought they were. They're, um, they're, their expression is different because they decided that their expression was not the next anticipated expression that we already wrote down in a book. Mm -hmm. They're borrowing from that expression and then yours and then, um, you know, Madonna's or whatever. We're all influenced by the things around us. And I noticed that I keep putting this kind of stuff around me. This must be me. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and related to kind of the freak show element, um, a few weeks ago, Dudley Riggs, uh, he founded the Brave New Workshop in Minneapolis and you know, like uh, right around the same time, maybe Second City's coming, but you know, improv and variety show type things. And uh, I, I, I know the current owner of the Brave New Workshop, he was really kind of groomed by Dudley. But one of the quotes that they would use is Dudley always said, we need to make a safe place for the freaks. And that was, that was like what was bringing like counter in Minneapolis counterculture together. And then you see all of these, you can almost tie back all these artistic movements to sometimes to just a group of people, a small group doing things together. But I love, I love the idea too of uh, using, because freaks for me is usually a very in, endearing term. Uh, right. So I learned it, but, yeah. but I understand in, in the other world. It's right. Not. <laughs> 
I want uh, want to talk a little bit too about, um, so a while ago you were on Dave Hill's uh, podcast and uh, I think one of, one of the things that uh, I, I just, it, it's hard for me to put into words just how how soothing and wise your voice sounded when uh, somebody called in and they were expressing racist ideas. um, And I couldn't tell if they were trolling or not, honestly. I mean, they were racist, but I I wasn't sure were they, were they playing dumb or are they dumb? Right. And, uh, but what's the difference? They're spreading dumb either way. Absolutely. Right. And the way you remained so calm, talking to them and the questions that you asked, I, I, I think the person's brain broke at one point, right? It was just, and I said, I wish I could be that calm (laughs) when I encounter ideas that, that infuriate me. And so I'm just kind of curious too, on how, how do you remain calm and centered? Uh, And is, is that an output of OMAT? Were you, were you able to do that before OMAT? First of all, thank you. That is a huge compliment, especially coming from you. I appreciate it because I do see you as a calm person. And I think we all have buttons and I'm not always this calm, but um, it, it is part of what OMAT came from. Yes, I'm generally calm and empathetic and that gets me in trouble sometimes. The mm-hmm. empathy that I put on other people that I decide that maybe they're good when, you know, they're not doing good things. But right. uh That is how I came to that. One of the things is I was in a relationship that I should not have either been with at all or um, I should have left a lot earlier. And um, one of the ways that I stayed in it is being upset and yelling and wagging my finger at this person. Okay, from now on, be good. You know, okay, I didn't I say this again. Um, wow, you're really being this, that, or the next. This is not, you know. And I went to um, an anonymous program called Al-Anon. And I went to, once we broke up also, while we were together, I started going. And and when we broke up, I continued to find spaces where people get together and and, um, get healthier. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that is said in Al-Anon is you can't change another person. And that doesn't, it didn't feel right to me, even though I knew that as a concept and I um, drew from it here and there, it really hit me so hard. You actually can't, you can, you can actually make it worse Mm -hmm. by continuing to try to tell them what to do and try to move them around. And it taught me that I lost focus on myself. I stopped telling myself what to do. I stopped um, any kind of focus on myself. And the practice that I started from that was anytime I wanted to tell my husband at the time uh, what to do, I would tell myself to do that thing. So, hey, aren't you behind on your email? It's like, what is he, a child? And then I had to say, oh, my God, am I asking him that because I'm behind on my email? And 100 percent of the time. It's true. Oh, aren't you late for your meeting? Oh, my God. If I keep focusing on how late he is for his meeting, I will be late. And I'm late now. Okay. All right. Great. So just the knowledge that and you've heard this before, we can only change ourselves. Yeah. And how annoying is that as an initial thought? (laughs) What do you mean? I have all this power over you know, convincing people and I can empathetically pick them up into this next spiritual. No, no. 
no, I have to do that for myself. And then if somebody sees that as a thing that they want to borrow from, then that's, you know, that's on them and they're making their decisions. Well, thank you. Yeah, a couple things that came to mind too, as you were, you were saying that one is, I don't think I appreciated this phrase as much. So you, like years ago, I was just reading a lot of Joseph Campbell's work, like on, you know, comparative re- religion, comparative mythology. And I remember one phrase, like nothing vitalizes like a vital life. And right, like really, like then, and it's the notion of self-care, right? That you, and later I've heard from a wise friend that you can't pour from an empty vessel. So you, you need to have energy, positive energy. And I think, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, your marriage was making me think back to, you know, I was, I was engaged uh, once, uh, well, engaged twice, <laughs> the second one stuck. Uh, <laughs> but that, that relationship too is, uh, you know, a part of it. And and I'm just wondering from, you know, you mentioned your parents and kind of old school and what should be. And, you know, I was raised in a predominantly Irish Catholic family and uh, uh, the notion of kind of Catholic guilt too is like, very selfish to be taking care of yourself. Right. And so then, then you want, you carry that into relationships and then you, you know, if you could step back, uh, you know, at least for me, it's like, yeah, if you could step back or if this was a friend, you just, that's pretty fucking stupid what you're doing. But when you're, when you're in it, it, it's hard to see it. And you're like, oh, maybe I can just work a little harder to make this better. I don't know if that. Yeah, absolutely. I think Catholic guilt, um, you know, strict Jewish Middle Eastern upbringing, I think they all have that in common of uh, squash yourself in order to make other people feel better. And that's how you spread love. But that's a terrible definition of love. Right, right. Um, Yeah. Uh, So I feel like I I feel like I want to go in two different directions. Uh, Things that I do want to cover. Well, actually, three. So maybe uh, digging in a little bit more on OMAT, what it is and what you found. But a couple of the precursors that I think are important is also that, you know, you you dealt with having a 12 pound tumor removed from your chest. <laughs> that tumor keeps getting bigger every time somebody interviews me. <laughs> is, it, is it like fish, is fish story a little bit? Maybe. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't 12 pounds? I forget how much weight it was. It was like four or five. It was football sized. Okay. Um, it took over the at least the left side of my um, torso. It moved my heart into my shoulder and um, pushed my lung so that it's pretty much not working. I don't know how a tumor can get so big without me noticing. It was pushing on my esophagus, um, which is why I finally got to the hospital because it was causing me to be able to breathe less and less. And finally, you know, I remember I was I was running. And I was like, oh, man, I'm it's a bad running day. I can't breathe. And I just couldn't catch my breath. And I finally, you know, I was like, oh, I have the kind of insurance where you can call a doctor. They'll just give me some sort of inhaler or, you know, I could skip going to the emergency room. And they heard the way I was breathing. They were like, we're not doing anything for you. We want to find you on your way to the hospital right now. And they called me up about 10 minutes later to make sure that I was on the way to the hospital. So wow. that was a good idea. Yeah. Cause I, that, I mean, when, and you know, when I, I, I also read that it was, was football size and to your, like, just 
how is that diagnosed? So thank you. Cause those were going to be some of my questions about like, how do you know or not know that that's going on? And so you went to the hospital and was it like, they, they started working on that right away, like x-rays and. I mean, they didn't, I was still walking upright. It was just, I was wheezing. So mm -hmm. it, I don't think that they just assumed I had a, a tumor. They, um, they put me on a nebulizer that made everything better. And it was one of those, hey, we're just going to, you know, run a couple tests just in case, you know, we don't like that uh, this has happened once before that I had to be on a nebulizer. And then the doctor comes in with this look on his face and I'm like, this isn't good. This is not good news. And he said, so you've never had an x-ray on your chest before. And I said, no, there was no reason because it, you look at my x-ray and it's dark, you know, where there's supposed to be light. Right. And I, I imagine it's hard for a doctor to see a football sized tumor uh, without anybody looking at it before this was years in the making. Yeah. 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 I imagine from a, the doctor's side, maybe like double checking the lens and seeing if there was something on the, <laughs> on the camera. Yes. Maybe the cover was on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, uh, coming out of coming out of that right because it was basically open heart surgery then to get rid of it right? yeah is is and can you and, and and i apologize but can you help me kind of with the timeline on where this is coming before omat because uh, you also also your your relationship too right your your marriage and and kind of the all that you and your partner are going through in that was kind of a wild ride um Oh, it was it was a dark, dark year. Um, so I got the the, the diagnosis um, four years ago in the summer. And then, you know, you have to do a lot of follow ups until they can really make sure that open heart is the right way to go. Mm -hmm. So um, as soon as I got my diagnosis, um, of course, you get scared. Uh, I I uh, I saw the look on doctor's face and I saw the possibility that I could die. Um, they didn't really want to say it, but I had this one doctor, he didn't look at the the x-ray before I came in. So when he lit up the x-ray, he said, oh my God, I was like, this isn't good. Okay. <laughs> um, so I was nervous because, you know, when you have a toothache, when you have a stomach ache, when you're not feeling well, you, you don't project a feeling well thing and you are agitated and um, uncomfortable and not able to be bright and sunny. And I was nervous because I had tendencies to be um, depressed and uh, spiral into darkness and enjoy it and live there for a while. And I thought, this is pretty big. I never had something this big being told to me about my physical body. So if I take regular life that way where I can start spiraling and go into dark places. I'm scared of what this will do. And I don't want to be a bad patient because that's not going to help me out. So I really genuinely started looking up how to be happy. I'm so thankful for Google. I really <laughs> put in my Google search, how to be happy. And I started there and how to be satisfied. And then I, um, how CEOs manage to do everything. Just questions that I had about like living your best life because what I saw that is corny because when I grew up, yoga was for the weak. Mm -hmm. And once I started mm -hmm. doing it, I was like, how did we get that diagnosis? This is hard. <laughs> this yeah. is amazing. Um, so all the 
all the information that was given me, I started questioning, including, do I have to go into depression? Do I have to follow the dark path? Do I have to enjoy it? Do I have to sit in it? Do I have to suffer from it? And do I have to come back with mania? And I'm not saying I'm bipolar or manic depressive, but I've I felt very high highs and very low lows. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I should compare it, but the words are the same. So that's why I'm mentioning it. So in the search, I listened to interviews. I uh, saw TED Talks. I went on a silent tree. I mean, I, I did all this stuff um, and I found a lot of a lot of things, but I still did have to have open heart surgery in October. So it's been exactly four years now. And in December, I went back to work and also found out that my husband was on Craigslist searching for women and creating romantic relationships or sexual relationships. I'm not sure what became physical or what didn't, but it was definitely ongoing and um, and in and in pursuit of. It wasn't just coming. It was um, I found ads with pictures that I took with our engagement photos that I'm cut out of and with, you know, come over. I'm in this hotel. Come over and sit on my face. I mean, things that I don't want to repeat. Yeah, I, I didn't read everything because I thought that would be bad for my mental health, but I was very surprised when my first thought when I saw clear evidence was this isn't happening. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm I I'm trying to convince myself that I'm reading this wrong, that I'm looking at it wrong, that I'm the bad one. Why am I even reading this? This isn't mm -hmm. for me. And I had to focus and tell myself this is really happening. So all that was happening while I was coming back to work. There was a little bit of chaos and I continued to, I went to see what the Hare Krishnas are doing for one night, chanted with them, went on a 10-day silent retreat of pure meditation. That was very hard. And yeah. um, as I looked for things, the what I now call OMAT program, those were the highlights. How do CEOs do it? How do people remain happy and calm? one of the main, main, main things that came up every single time was they give gratitude. And again, I'm like, that is so corny. You're going to tell me that Oprah was right years ago and that she on her high horse was able to list all the gratitudes that like, what am I going to do if, if, you know, to compare yourself to Oprah and say, well, she has things to be grateful about. And it was sort of the, the gift of desperation I'm going to try this because I feel like I tried everything else. So let's get corny. Mm -hmm. And I tried it. I promised myself the next morning I would wake up and all the thoughts that would start rushing in. I can't believe it's another day. I have to do this. I need to do that. I'm going to interrupt it. And I'm going to start a gratitude list for one minute. And the next day came and I was like, well, that's, do I just do it? Do it <laughs> while you're peeing. And I did it. <laughs> and, and it was surprising and I was like, oh, this is what they mean. And then I surprised myself like, oh, I didn't know that I was that grateful for this. I didn't know how happy this made me feel. I started getting to know myself through it. And the other thing that started coming up was meditation, which I found to be very boring, very anti-production. You know, how am I doing anything by sitting here? Like, why am I wasting my time? But the more I heard that successful people, happy people were spending their time and that rejuvenates you. I'm like, I have to I have to believe this enough to try it. And I tried it. I tried breathing. And as soon as I paid attention to my breath, I'm not saying I love meditating for an hour. I don't and I don't do it. But 
I do practice breathing and I do calm myself down and I do put one minute of breathing before I respond to something because I might be feeling overwhelmed with my response. So just to catch my breath. And the rest of the eight exercises also came in that manner. Um, I think we do need to stretch every day. I think we do need to use our strength. We need we do need to have an aerobic part. Um, I do need to work on my procrastination. I started putting procrastination on my morning routine. All these things were tried out in my morning routine. And what can you do with procrastination? I'm like, well, I've had this hangnail for a week. So maybe I take this one minute and I stop messing with it and I change my life. There it is. <laughs> that's yeah. not there anymore. So I broke it down to these very, very small, small moments because sometimes that's all I had. Sometimes I really thought I really don't know what to do next. I really don't. I can't figure out the rest of my day, the rest of my week, what I have to do for work, how this, how this or that is going to work out. I'm going to focus on this minute and I'm going to get through this minute and then we'll figure out the next minute when that comes. And that was OMAT one minute at right. a time. Well, thank you. I love I, and, and really appreciate all of the the context to that and and seeing these elements come together and for for folks listening to that uh, you have an OMAP program right that and that they can sign up for and can you walk me through kind of what it, what the sessions look like not not to give away like secret sauce but just kind of oh no it's none of it is a secret and it and none of it is new just like really any other concept that we can come up with unless you know. Yeah, you know, obviously scientists yeah. and yeah. yes, but um, this is stuff that people have been talking about forever. Uh, so the original program, the OMAT program is one minute a day of an exercise. So your first week, you do one minute of gratitude every morning or every evening, and then you do that for a week. Then the next week, it's meditation, just because our first instinct is, I don't have time for a new routine. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. have time to add meditation. So just give me one minute every day. And then it's eight weeks because there are eight exercises. The OMAT club is that meet for um, 15 minutes a day. And I walk you through all eight exercises every day. And, and then we have some time if you want to chat afterwards, to ask questions to, and I find that like what's happening is people are sharing how this affects them. And then people are borrowing from each other's, um, experiences and it's really been fantastic i love the response that i'm getting because yeah. i was ready to be like i was ready to try it on and say that's not what it is but it it's really been working and i feel so excited about it yeah thank you thank you because i you know when i when i first heard about it and then w went went to the site and looked at it i i really did love the the blend of things that you had there and kind of my personal journey too i've like when i was when i was a kid and like uh, and and just using broad stroke stereotypes but uh it was a as as a male growing up in the midwest like yeah things like meditation right it's like uh it doesn't sound productive it doesn't sound like you're working hard and yeah, the more that I've seen that and actually I, I try to do 20 minutes now of uh, in the morning and in the evening, like just trying to calm the brain and, and avoid things like the death scroll uh, on Twitter or whatever, like on my phone where it's just, so I'm trying to, trying to do those things. And you mentioned breathing and it's, it seems so simple and overlooked. Like I just remember like actually taking a slow, deep breath 
for a little bit on, on what that can do to calm you down and make your body feel better to me is, is amazing. But yeah, it, those bringing those all together. I, I love what you've, you've done there. And um, I think one of, one of the other things you, you'd mentioned too, that I'm finding, cause you had mentioned CEOs is also vulnerability as, as actually an extreme form of maturity uh, where sometimes it seems being vulnerable is, is immature, right? As you get old, you got to be tougher and, and I've just found in situations and mentors, just being vulnerable, even saying like, maybe I don't know, but let's find out. Or that's that's great. I don't have an answer for this. Or I'm sorry, I made a mistake, right? Uh, just some of those simple things too, that can actually make a safer space for those around you as well. I just, so. Uh, for, for sure. I One of the exercises is connection. And for that, I say, you know, have you, has someone been on your mind? Can you send them a text that says, hey, I hope you're doing well. I'm thinking about you. And that's that. And people are telling me that they've reconnected with friends and, you know, you feel this overwhelm. One month passes, two months passes, a year passes. It's still on your mind, but you can't let it go. So they sent that message and reconnected. But the other thing that there's an option to do that I mentioned during that connection minute is to connect with yourself, to ask yourself something like, and I, I, have a different prompt every day. Um, when I feel anxious, I need. And in this safe space, in this minute that you're actually giving to yourself, you're not in a rush. It's not a test. See what you need. And the next time you feel anxious, you might reach for that. If you keep exercising that knowledge, you might go for that maybe as opposed to spiraling a little bit or mm -hmm. whatever it is. But to note that's what I'm going to need. Maybe I'll put that in place or maybe I'll reach for it when it comes. It's just like any other exercise. I'm going to the gym. I'm not going to run 50 miles in one day. Right. I'm going to try running as an experiment and see how it feels. So, yeah, I love, I love the analogy to kind of that, like a, almost like a muscle, right? It needs to be, it needs to be developed. It needs to be worked. Um, Cause that other muscle is developed. Yeah. When I feel nervous, I shut down. That muscle is worked out. So now when I feel nervous, I have to first acknowledge that I don't want to shut down. Yeah. Then maybe something else will come. Right. That's I've joked with friends of mine that I have a, uh, a, a finely tuned anxiety machine. It <laughs> it doesn't take much for it to get get going. Like you, you wish you wish your lawnmower was that that good that it started that easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on, on the creative side, and we've talked about, you know, kind of not, uh, not being in dark places or getting out of dark places, um, out, outside of some of the things with, with OMAT, are there certain things that you go to for, for joy? Like, um, I don't know, music and, and your, as, as a performer, but are there certain things that you, you, you like to do just to, to positively recharge? Yeah, I'm lucky that I really like the things that I do for a living and, and the pursuits that I have, but also I can get to become a workaholic with that. So I have to stop because it's so enjoyable, but I'm still working and I have to mm -hmm. switch gears. So I'm biking a lot now. Um, I've been biking for a couple of years and it is as soon as I get on there, it's fantastic. And during COVID time, it's a little, you know... <laughs> You have a little less options, but uh, uh, me and my boyfriend go and we sit by the water in New York. When you're riding your bike, you can find 
all different kinds of places with views. Mm -hmm. um, we try out different pizzas in different neighborhoods and um, listening to music, writing, uh, just sitting and thinking, just really doing nothing. That's mm -hmm. nice. You know, let's stare at a wall every here and again. Right. And showers when I remember. <laughs> As soon as I get there, I'm like, that's right. This is a waterfall, a personal waterfall. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, <laughs> but think... I like I like comedy. That's how I got into the podcasting anyway. Like comedy. I like um, variety of entertainment. Um, yeah. So even though I don't know much about poetry, I'll watch a poetry slam or, a, you know, some kind of show, dance, whatever. I like being entertained. That's awesome. Uh, so, uh, are there are there some favorite comedians of yours right now uh, that that you're listening to? I think Sarah Silverman has always been amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, you know, as soon as you ask me, of course, I'm blank. But Chappelle just made an incredible comeback, and he had me conflicted because his special was this incredible piece throughout most of it, but he also had weird trans jokes and yeah, yeah. stuff that he wasn't on the mark on. And I, you know, I had to stop and go, do I have to not like him anymore? You know, uh, do I forgive blind spots? Am I, you know, being a traitor, all that stuff. And I just decided I probably say dumb stuff and I take what I like and leave the rest. I do think he's very good and he's not going to be perfect at all. Right. Right. Um, on the creativity side for you, um, and, and maybe we've, we've, we've covered this through OMAT, but one of the things I like to ask guests is, do you ever feel stuck? And uh, how do you get unstuck? Yeah, there are days where I, I go, I don't want to. <laughs> just whatever it is I'm about to do, I don't want to. Um, one way to get stuck is unstuck is just do it. Um, but that works more when you have the accountability. Like if I, if I didn't feel like having an interview now, I'm still going to do it. And as soon as we start, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Um, so that's the accountability aspect of it. But um, to get over it, I really do use OMAT. I, I use one of the exercises as a transition. And sometimes I don't do it because maybe I'm telling myself I don't want to do it because I just don't want to do it right now. So if I don't take a break, my life will break for me. Like it, it will say you're too tired and that's mm -hmm. done now. Right. So sometimes I don't do it. And sometimes I take a minute. Sometimes I do something fun and distracting first and then give myself that reward. And then I get, it's, it's, it's like we're seven and we have to be our own parents. I mean, yeah. what's the difference between being an adult and a child? I feel the same way. I just have a longer list of responsibilities. Yeah, when you were talking about procrastination uh, just a little while back and, and your your hangnail was one of the examples, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the things I found is, you know, especially with messes, like cleaning something up and the, the, the overwhelming anxiety, I, you probably spend more time worrying about getting it done than just doing it like oh i should like i as as i'm looking at my desk right now i should organize it uh, yep. but, but when when i actually do it it actually takes like 10 minutes right and then that i feel i feel so much better but i have probably burned hours just looking at my desk and like oh god i gotta get 
I got to take and care we, of that. And we think no one else is doing that because everyone yeah. life looks so streamlined and we are, you know, managing ad- adults. But every there's not one person who hasn't related to that, as you said yeah. it, in one way or another. I, how do you have all of your stuff together in every aspect of your life? There's not enough energy. So, yeah, before one of the prompts before we get into that minute of procrastination is this is an experimental minute try something on, go throw out a sock, go make your bed. Do you want to start writing a book? Write ideas about what it's even going to be about in this next minute. And by the way, if you're done with this minute and you hated everything you just did, it was a minute. Now, you know, when a scientist finds out the answer, they don't quit their job because it didn't come out like they wanted. They use the the information and start the experiment again in another way, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny that you say that too about scientists. I, I I don't know if I shared this when we had coffee, but uh, one of my best friends from from my hometown, uh, we ended up going to undergrad together, uh, and then uh, we both ended up back in the same town as adults. But he's he's a, a, a immunology coronavirologist researcher. I thought so. Man, you have smart friends. Coronavirology wasn't wasn't that in, interesting. It wasn't sexy, but. <laughs> It it is killing it right now, right? <laughs> it's all over the place. But he, yeah. And so I love talking to him about because I come from a, a design side. But we talk about like uh, persistence and interesting questions, and yeah, especially when you're running an experiment and it fails, and and also him trying to coach PhD candidates and postdocs about it's it's actually the the bigger learning happens in that failure, right? It's those friction points where we actually learn more. Rather than if your experiment just went as you expected, you actually don't really know what what right. was working and what wasn't. But uh, unfortunately, right, it's it feels like failure when something doesn't work. So do we want to keep pushing? So I was really I just uh, love that you were talking also about kind of the scientific method and kind of the discipline to that. Uh, one of the other things I love digging in with guests uh, is a notion of advice. Uh, and so this can go many different uh, directions. And uh, uh, for me, I steal from Austin Cleon's book, Steal Like an Artist, where he says, when we give advice, we're just talking to our younger self. Like, I wish I would have had that. But many guests will also talk about like a piece of advice they got early in their life. Um, and it stuck with them. Or sometimes as it ages, it becomes more profound. Like, you know, as a kid, we might have dismissed it. And now it's like, oh, they were actually pretty smart when they said that. But just right. curious on any good advice that you you had or any good advice that you might give to people listening to the podcast. Well, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, ask yourself if somebody asked you for your advice. Why are you handing out that information? Did somebody ask you, hey, how can I stop drinking? Or how can I be a better husband? Or How can I podcast better? Or are you inserting yourself into this because you know something and you want to speak about it, which is fine, but ask if somebody asked you (laughs) because we think we're helping, but we're taking energy away from ourselves and other people because nobody asked. Sorry, I'm laughing so much because some some of my friends... Before I started this podcast, we we almost called... uh, uh, We almost started a podcast called Unsolicited Advice. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's so, I loved your I loved your question, but we're like, yeah, some of the most awkward things, especially when 
when people just start giving you advice on something, you I, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> and then it's like, then for me, the anxiety, oh my God, what are they seeing? Is, am I doing something so wrong that they, they're trying to correct it? But yeah. Right. So I, mean, asking, I, I used to do that all the time. You know, somebody would be like, I'm trying to start a podcast. I'm like, you know what you should do? Ugh. Oh my God. They might've, this is just a thought. Oh, what have you been thinking about? Maybe ask a question yeah. instead of let me tell you exactly what to do with half the notion that you just came up with. Why? One of the things I really, really appreciate about your style is um, you're just masterful at at the question, right? I feel like you really, um, that's the way you approach things is, is and, and I know in some of our conversations too, is just even turning back a question with a question, it, it just really makes people stop and think. And so- uh, just kind of curious if that's something you picked up over your life or, uh, you know, was this also through OMAT, like just being more reflective means asking more questions? I think it's both. When I was younger, I was really quiet and really shy, really afraid to speak. And um, hey, watch out for those quiet people. They hear <laughs> everything you're saying. So I'm also watching everything. And if you're very, very quiet, you're watching how people are interacting and you're picking up what you like and don't like, where they're coming from. You're picking up on their discomforts. I guess that's why people are, you know, they give sometimes shy people a lot of credit, like, oh, they're cool. I was not given that credit, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was watching. And then to get out of my shyness, I swung too hard the other way and I was the loudest person. And I thought that was so interesting and cool and so modern. And, uh, and I, I slowly found a middle ground. I think that's what they mean when they say finding yourself again, that sounded so stupid because they made it sound stupid. Whoever it, when I say they, it's the people who it wasn't working for. So, you know, they shame you into, that's not right. That's stupid. That's what wusses do. But really, how am I hurting you? I'm just kind of trying something on. So through like um, just generally being quiet and also actually really am, I'm a curious person through podcasting, through interviewing people, um, I learned what I'm curious about. And also there's a thing um, that I heard uh don't get mad, get curious. And so I, I tried practicing that. Like if I'm about to get mad, I'm also about to possibly embarrass myself because most likely I misheard something. I'm taking a piece. I'm triggered by my own stuff. So that's probably what I did with that guy calling in with Dave Hill. Yeah. I already know everyone's mad at him on the other side because there are sides, right? So mm -hmm. we already know that. He already expects us to call him names. What is that going to do? So, all right, let me ask you the question that, you know, you're asking us. Yeah. Turn it right back to you. What does that mean? He called to ask, what does BLM mean? And I think I said something yeah. like, well, what did it mean when you looked it up? <laughs> it's, I don't know. <laughs> you're still calling a show. Yeah. We have the same info. Are there... Are there uh... Any topics that that when you thought about the the Iowa idea or any any deep fascination about flyover country that we didn't cover <laughs> that I really like didn't understand I didn't understand the not New York living because <laughs> I grew up in New York City I ha I understood you know 
smaller cities, just that there were smaller cities and right. there was the country and there was rural and there was all this stuff. But I didn't know there was genuinely no public transportation in these other places. And there, I thought maybe there was a bus that ran 24 hours. I didn't know all of that stuff. I just, I was in my little bubble. Yeah. Uh, so that's just stuff that I didn't know. And I, and I'm also, um, I'm scared. I'm scared of rural places. I'm scared of the dark. I'm scared of when I see too many cornfields. I, I, I'm not scared in the city. I'm totally fine. What is it about the cornfields that, that scare you? That's where murders happen in horror films. <laughs> Oh, I love what I love about this is I talked to friends of mine from different areas of the country and um, how different natural disasters sound terrifying in other areas. Right. So like here, but that's a tornado. Right. And like my friends on the West Coast, eh, it's an earthquake. But like for me, it's like, how could you live where there might be an earthquake? And they're like, how could you live where there's going to be tornadoes? And so when you're scared of cornfields and, you know, like as a, <laughs> as a kid, I was, the, you know, because I, I grew up in a mid-sized uh, city, uh, and it was it was actually rough because it was a uh, failed factory town. But uh, I was, man, Chicago or New York must be so dangerous. <laughs> and then, right. yeah. but then as a kid, like going into Chicago, and one of my mom's best friends grew up in Hell's Kitchen, and then lived in Brooklyn, and we'd go visit her, and like I fell in love with with New York and try to get back periodically. And my wife did her, her master's at NYU. Um, so when, when we go back, I'd still, I get more like uh, personal guided tours, right? Oh, I know you'd like this record store or here's a restaurant you would like to go to, but that's super fun. Yeah. And so um, uh, have you ever heard of a corn maze? Do you know what a corn maze yes, is? Yes. I <laughs> went to one a couple of years ago <laughs> for the first time. Oh, I got so lost. Oh my God. <laughs> So Started getting if you want, dark. If you, if, you, if you make it out to to Iowa, we'll we'll uh, we'll get you here during corn maze season and hundred <laughs> percent. And I'll I'll show you how safe it is. But <laughs> cider donut, yes, right, right. It's all good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, uh, Hemda, it was so so good to have you here. Uh, just really appreciate you taking the time, sharing your gifts, your wisdom, and. I wish you wish you the best. And uh, yeah, I just can't thank you enough for for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. It was so nice talking to you. I'm really glad we met. We should both thank Dave Hill, of course, the sweetheart <laughs> <Right>. of a man. <laughs> thank Absolutely. you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care. Bye.